Hello, welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast. I'm your host, Dr. M. And this is Volume 13, Issue 50, for the week of November 27, 2023. This issue we're going to do the literature review. Then we're going to talk about testicular cancer and physicals. And then we're going to look at a third section that I'm calling SIT. Free thoughts. Get your children annual physicals and make sure that the exam and the experience are thorough. Have your children wear loose clothing to have easily examined entire bodies. It matters for the best preventative exam possible. Okay, we're doing literature review first. Number one, parasites are critical cells that sit around the tiny blood vessels called capillaries of the body, especially in the brain. They're involved in regulating blood vessel activity. They communicate directly with the endothelial cells, making them super important in the activity of the blood vessel and metabolism of the local tissue interface. From the journal Cell Death and Disease, we see, quote, crosstalk mechanisms between parasites, endothelial cells, and astrocytes preserve integrity and function of the blood-brain barrier. Under physiological conditions, long intracellular channels allowing the transfer of small molecules and organelles between distant cells called tunneling nanotubes represent a potential substrate for energy and matter exchanges between the tripartite cellular compartments of the blood-brain barrier. We found that astrocytes from long Tunneling nanotubules will with parasites and endothelial cells and receive functional mitochondria from both cell types through this mechanism. The mitochondrial transfer also occurred in multicellular assembloids of the human blood-brain barrier that reproduce the three-dimensional architecture of the blood-brain barrier. Under conditions of ischemia reperfusion, the tunneling tubules formation is upregulated and astrocytes exposed to oxygen glucose deprivation were rescued from apoptosis by healthy parasites through the tunneling nanotubes mediated transfer of functional mitochondria, an effect that was vis- virtually abolished in the presence of tunnel- tunneling nanotubule-destroying drugs, quote, Pisani et al., 2022. In another study by Pandy and colleagues, we see the parasites having a large role in the deposition and maintenance of memory. They are involved in increasing the protein insulin-like growth factor 2, which is directly related to quality of the deposition of memory. Loss of IGF-2 and parasite function is a hallmark of aging-related mental decline. Inflammation and lack of activity or sloth are direct insults to parasites over time. The upstream issues are well-known for us. Ultra-processed foods, simple sugars, trans fats, sedentary behavior, toxin exposure are leading to this reality. I find it super fascinating that the parasites produce nanotubes to move intact mitochondria and nutrients from the parasite to another needy cell. The human body is absolutely incredible. My buddy Huck would love this research as he works in nanotubes. It is meant to work for us and our need to procreate and survive. It only breaks down when our choices do not match up with our needs. Two, mask mandates for children did not work again. Quote, we successfully replicate the original result Using 565 counties, non-masking counties had around 30 additional cases per 100,000 after two weeks of schools opening. However, after nine weeks, cases per 100,000 were 18.3 in counties with mandates compared to 15.8 in those without them. In a larger sample of 1,832 counties between weeks two and nine, cases per 100,000 fell by 38.2 and 37.9 in counties with and without mask requirements, respectively. Chandra et al., 2023. 
Never again should we blindly follow anti-science-based recommendations from the government that caused harm with a perceived benefit. It's ridiculous. Number three, in a large UK biobank population analysis, we see a 10-year increase in longevity in men that switch from a highly processed diet to a whole foods diet that maximizes vegetable, legume, nut, and fruit intake. Enough said. That's all we need. Fadness et al. 2023, F-A-D-N-E-S et al. 2023. And as always, the links are in the newsletter on SalisburyPediatrics.com website if you want to find any of these citations. Number four. Was a COVID vaccine safe in pregnant women back in 2021? Marty McCary is a physician who looked at this and breaks down the science. He says, essentially, i.e. none, behind the recommendation to give it to pregnant women in 2021. I found his article profoundly disturbing. How were we recommending a novel vaccine without adequately studying it in the most incredibly risky population? The fetal origins of disease epigenetics model makes this completely anti-Hippocratic in my mind. What has medicine devolved into where we recommend a novel mRNA vaccine at the highest levels, i.e. CDC, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, without data to support the safety? It's quite insane to me. But from his article, he writes, in February 2021, quote, to settle the controversy over whether the COVID vaccine should be used during pregnancy, Pfizer launched a randomized control trial of 4,000 pregnant women. But five months into the study, after enrolling 349 women, the study mysteriously stopped recruiting. Pfizer never offered a reason. Most concerning, the pregnancy outcomes of those who participate in the trial and their babies are still not public today, nearly two years later. But the CDC did not wait for good data to make a decision on recommendation. In April 2021, just four months after the COVID vaccine was first granted an emergency use authorization and two months into the then ongoing Pfizer pregnancy trial, Dr. Walensky decided not to wait for the trial results, and instead recommended that all pregnant people get the vaccine. Three months later, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, ACOG, followed the CDC and enthusiastically recommended it as well. Marty Marcari, 2023, and that's from this article in the tablet. So the current CDC webpage dedicated to this topic has a list of more recent references from which they derive their current recommendations. Many of the studies are highly questionable observational studies with significant risk of bias. One meta-analysis one meta actually seemed reasonably well set up to give an answer, and it found no significant risk of pregnancy in 2022. That was from Prasad et al. 2022, and that was in the journal Nature Communications. The current question I have is this. Almost all women of childbearing age now have had natural disease to SARS-CoV-2, i.e. natural immunity. Is there still a higher risk of negative outcome in pregnancy in the Omicron era? If so, how much? And are these recommendations based on Delta timeframe, which was much different than the Omicron timeframe? So many questions that I'd love to see some answers on. In Lancet Respiratory Medicine, Dr. Auger and colleagues noted that the Omicron wave was 0.3% risk of ICU admission during pregnancy versus 1.8% risk during the Delta wave, a 6x drop likely due to viral mutations, making Omicron less morbid and natural immunity providing increased protection. And that's from Alger et al. in Lancet Respiratory Medicine again. For me, two things are clear. One, we continue to erode public confidence when we are not honest and transparent about the data. And how is Pfizer not releasing the data from that original study? Pretty crazy. We have to have government-funded, double-blind, placebo-controlled studies to answer these questions definitively. Five, pregnancy mRNA COVID vaccine associated with reduced infection risk in neonates in the first six months of age. The same reductions were not seen unless vaccinated during pregnancy. Go et al., GOH et al., JAMA Network. Then we must ask the question, how high is the risk for neonates? 
According to the CDC, the Omicron data, as reported, the risk of hospitalization peaked in winter 2022-2023 at 6 per 100,000 children and waned to 2 per 100,000 this past summer. By reference, influenza has a rate of 100 missions per 100,000 children. According to the breakdown by year, CDC noted that there are 362 deaths in zero to six month old infants since the start of the pandemic. But they don't actually break it down by year. I apologize. They don't break it down by year. The only death data by age that I could find by year is from Michigan, which has a health system that reported five deaths per year from COVID in 2021 and 2022 and one death since Omicron in 23. There is the best data that I could find to make decisions on regarding COVID and pregnancy. Tough call. I generally do recommend flu vaccine for pregnant women and infants at six months of age due to its safety profile and risk prevention being significant. But again, this is just data. Y'all have to make a choice. Section two, cancer physical exams and early screening. What is the story? For the third time in my career, I have diagnosed a testicular cancer in a young man. This matters because early detection is the number one way to stop a disease from killing its inhabitant. Life is about trade-offs, preparation, prevention, and the life that follows. I am often asked why a patient needs an annual physical and why school requires it. The simple answer is that it is the best opportunity for the physician-patient relationship to be solely focused on disease prevention, trade-offs of time spent in finding normal in most cases is juxtaposed against the rare finding that is profoundly life-changing as in the case of cancer of metabolic disease. Over the recent past, I've noted with dismay that primary care providers are doing shorter and less thorough physical exams than previous generations of providers. Some patients are refusing thorough exams for personal reasons. Education is often filed under, no one listens anyway, so why bother? Or other somewhat non-Hippocratic reasons. The bottom line is that medicine of the future should be firmly rooted in the style of the past, with an emphasis on prevention-first, patient-centered, whole-person care. I hope to see a time where well care visits are 30 minutes long and not 15, with a thorough physical exam coupled to targeted metrics and labs that guide the conversation towards disease prevention. Think about a future where every child wears a continuous glucose monitor for three weeks to learn their individual response to dietary inputs that may guide our education to specifics related to them and their physiology. Or maybe every child has guided self-care education akin to home economics, but of the mind primarily. As we progress over time in our clinic and with our clinically integrated network, Children First of North Carolina, we will begin to do exactly these things for the betterment of all children. Prevention is the only true way to reduce the disease burden that has allowed the American new modern way of living that is opposed to our genetic expectations. Being in the modern style of our existence has not kept up with the way our genes have been for most of our time, putting us in a precarious position with disease. Unfortunately, we have many obstacles in our way to achieve our goals. Provider volume is a major issue. Medicine has gone in the wrong direction in recent years. Medical schools have been poorly controlling the volume of needed physicians by capping enrollment and thus output. We do not have enough of us, especially in rural communities. Primary care physicians are a dying breed. Yes, that includes me. As the cost of medical schools diverted many young students away from primary care path due to the loans and financial roadblocks, this is sad but true. I train medical students often making these decisions yearly. It used to be a lot to graduate with seventy-five, even $150,000 in student loan debt from med school. Now I routinely see double to four times that number. You know, some people have three, four, five hundred thousand in debt. 
It's impossible to pay back on a primary care salary. As a pediatrician, forget it. Therefore, the trade-off of keeping the physician volume stable has led to a preparation problem that did not take into account aging baby boomers, painful electronic medical record, insurance-based charting, and a COVID pandemic that pushed many physicians prematurely out the door. And I know many who have left. Well, we are here now. Add in the new reality where 75% of physicians are now hospital or private equity company employed. And we see another layer of reason to quit emerging in the recent past decade for those with the means to do so. The pressure to perform for money like a dancing bear is all too much for many that came here to be a part of the healing process and not part of the money machine called the medical industrial complex. What does it all mean? When medicine becomes about money and not the patient and the health of the patient, then the ability to appropriately focus on the patient with time and prevention first mentality fades. The experience becomes about speed, volume, scene, and profits. This is counter to a prevention-based philosophy driving the greater narrative of a pill for an ill, or really a pill for any ill, and 10 pills for the symptom. What patients really need is true preventative medicine. A yearly physical has massive value for the patients, likely like the one I just discussed who was recently diagnosed with cancer, or hypertension, or other things. Physicals are also an opportunity to connect with your physician about the new science of healthy living through a prevention lens focus. Either way, we are where we are now, and we have to take advantage of what we have now. Use your annual physical to its fullest to get a full physical exam, as well as education on best lifestyle practices to keep your family healthy within the time frame allotted, which is not a lot. This is the best way to avoid preventable disease and most importantly find cancers and other diseases before they cause major damage. Section three, for the next 10 minutes, if you can, do nothing but sit and meditate or think about your inner self for 10 minutes. Just do it. Try not to think, just be. If you find yourself struggling, it's okay. Accept that you struggle and move back to just trying to relax. Focus on your inner self. Try not to think about all the things that are going on in your life. Groove this into your practice. This is a really good thing to do. Okay, folks, that's it for this week. Appreciate y'all very much as always, and hug those kids. As always, a disclaimer, the information provided in this newsletter audio cast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue and does not constitute for the formation of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.